Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 178, and I'm talking with Jordan Hesse. This is Jordan's second time on the podcast. She recently placed third at the Boston Marathon, being the top American female to cross the finish line. And I am so pumped for her. Jordan has recently taken 18 months off of racing. She was teed up to run Boston last year and then Chicago and had two different stress fractures. So she had to sit on the sidelines all of 2018. Needless to say, this race was a long time coming for her. And I'm super proud and excited for what's in store for her career and just the fact that she could get out there on such a short training block and make that day happen for herself. She ran a 225. This was her third marathon. She ran Boston in 2017 and placed third. She ran Chicago in 2017 and placed third. Had to sit out in 2018, and now she's back with another third place uh, podium finish. So she's recently announced that she is running Chicago this fall, and she'll tell you straight out the gate that she wants that American record and she wants to win. She's also excited about competing for the, a spot on the 2020 team to race in Tokyo. So lots to talk about here with Jordan. We talk a lot about Boston, her training, what it's like coming back from that injury, and what her future goals are. Also, Jordan was kind enough to stay on the line for an extra 15 minutes for Patreon. So if you support this show over on Patreon, you can get 15 bonus minutes with Jordan. In that part of the conversation, we talk about what her favorite things about having Alberto as a coach are. We also talk about so many other pieces of training and just life in general. Uh, I always love the Patreon piece because though I feel like all my conversations are pretty lighthearted and loose, and even though we get into some deep stuff, the conversations are pretty casual. uh, I feel like Patreon is even more so casual, and it's just really fun to get that extra bit of, of conversation. If you do support the show on Patreon there, I also just released a post-Boston episode with my husband, Glenn. We released that last weekend. Uh, Glenn and I hash out Boston, both of our thoughts on the race, the weekend, and what's next. So if you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash Hine for as little as $5 a month. You get access to bonus episodes like that. Anyway, I hope you guys are loving this content. I'm, I'm really loving recording the conversations and really thankful you're all here. All right, let's go ahead and enjoy my conversation with Jordan Hesse. We're talking to Jordan Hesse here, and I am just so excited for you coming off of this, like, such a long hiatus of running and all these injuries. Tell me right now, how do you feel? Thanks. I'm just really excited. It um, was, yes, like you said, uh, just a long layoff uh, for a whole year, having to miss both two marathons with a fracture in my foot. And when I first started training for Boston this year, I really just wanted to get to the start line. And I didn't really know if I could kind of get back to the level that I was at. So I just feel really grateful in the time that I had to have done so well. And now I'm just really honestly just like looking forward to the next goal and the whole year ahead and hopefully can just stay healthy. Um, Can we laugh about this really quick? I love that I emailed you before Boston and then after Boston, you you were like, sorry, I just ignored that. I was cracking up. Yeah, I'm so sorry, but I was just, 
I was trying to stay really focused and just, you, you know how it is before a race, totally. just get extra, get extra rest and <laughs> um, get all my treatments in. That's one of the things I've just been trying to stay on top of throughout this buildup, just uh, really making sure I take care of all the little things and, um, yeah, just juggling everything, family, friends, and that sort of stuff. When you get down to totally. race day, it's, um, yeah, but I apologize. I figured I would uh, send you a message afterwards. I appreciated the honesty <laughs> so much. I love that you were just like, sorry, I just ignored that. Like, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Um, this is better I anyway. So, I was so excited to hear that you ran it though, too. How did it go? Oh, you know what? I just like, I coming off this fourth baby and eight months postpartum, I was just like, I need to do whatever I need to do to get to the starting line without being injured. And I honestly knew it was going to hurt about 11 miles in and I was just going to have to like mentally tough it out. So I, you know, I think it went the best it could have possibly gone given all of the life circumstances and, um, it was hard, but I knew it was going to be hard. So I just like, you know, I just had to embrace how those legs were going to feel the second half of the race. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so my husband saw you. He is at was at Cleveland Circle, so that's when he saw all the elites come through. Okay. Um and he I asked how you looked and he was like she looked like nothing was going to phase her. She looked so strong. <laughs> so that's mile uh-huh. 23. Did you feel like that at 23? Um was I in third place when he saw me or fourth? I think you were still in fourth. It was like 22 and a half. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was catching up. I was trying to get to third. Uh well, I, those last four or five miles were pretty tough, but I felt strong. I just felt like I couldn't pick it up at all, but I was just really focusing on getting back into that third place podium spot. I was pretending it was an Olympic medal, so oh, nice. uh, I was excited because I kind of kept gaining on her, and then when I was about five seconds back... Um, she looked back and didn't really try to accelerate. So then I thought, okay, I think I got her. Uh, but then they always say when you pass someone, right, you're supposed to try to look really good. So I tried to get up on my toes and really (laughs) sprint by and then she didn't sit on me. So that was kind of a relief. And then the last, yeah, the last two miles were kind of nice because I knew all I needed to do was just kind of keep my pace and I'd secure the third place did you know like when so once you clearly you passed her confidently and like she wasn't biting back who was that by the way who was the person that you passed um Asefa and uh yeah they she was an Olympian in the 1500 okay. and ran 405 and where's she so, from um Ethiopia I think okay I don't know but I told Alberta I was like I outkicked a 405 15 <laughs> Hundred meter runner. <laughs> What's your fifteen hundred meter PR? Uh, four oh seven. Okay. Oh yeah. So I guess we're pretty close. I was thinking I was more like four ten, but um, yeah. But I mean, I wasn't an Olympian in yeah, it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so okay, you pass her. You know that sh- you you felt stronger based on how that went down. Did you know? So then Des got fifth. Did you know how far back anybody else was? Like how did? Because you said you felt pretty confident the last two miles as long as you held, you know, held on to where you were. Like, how, did you know how far back anybody was? Not really. It's funny when you look at the results, how far people end up dropping back. And um, 
It was funny, though, because for a long time, people were calling me Dez. Really? No, this happened two years ago. You look so much alike. Yeah, she had, (laughs) that's what my dad said, but she had said that um, she uh, had wanted to win two years ago, and then um, people, I think, see an American, and they just think, oh, Dez, and same thing when she she won last year, and I I said this in my interview right after, I don't really mind, because I was pretending to be her down the stretch that I, I was winning the, winning the race when I visualize it I think about her winning so uh it was cool and motivating and um yeah they gave me Jordan on my bid this year which was nice but <laughs> I That's guess people so don't read it they just think oh Des but um, they just see an American and think Des yeah, it's so funny you guys look like nothing alike That's hilarious. yeah they, I think Des is just so well known in Boston, which yeah. is cool. But um, oh, yeah, nice. there. When you when we turned on Boylston, though, there was this whole USA chant, which was really oh. gave me goosebumps and was inspiring. So um, yeah, I mean, they're rooting for both of us. So I don't whatever name they want to call me is fine. <laughs> that is so incredible. Okay, so speaking of Des, um, tell everybody kind of the story about her, kind of help trying to help you calm down and like just relax in the first bit of the race yeah so the race was really interesting for me because uh I had never been in a marathon where someone broke away like that so early on I think um Worknish Worknish started to break away at like four miles Mm. and so um and then there was Worknish broke away, but then there were two other women that kind of went with it but weren't right on her. And I was kind of like, do I go with those two? Do I go with Worknish? <laughs> well, I, I didn't. We talked about um, not going with any huge moves that uh, just because uh, Alberto really wanted me to um, – he thought I was in 223 shape, probably not 220 shape like I was in Chicago. So we really just wanted a solid result and not try to go for something risky and fall back when we, like, like you could go with the pace and then maybe not run to your fitness level, right, because you just made that risk. So we wanted to be smart. So I thought I just need to stay with this main pack. This is what he would want me to do. And so Des kind of just reassured that, just saying that, you, you know, you don't have to cover all these surges. Just we ha- we got plenty of time. Just stay relaxed. And I think she could sense that I was like trying to cover every little every little person's move, and every, like, wasn't sure like was moving around in the pack a lot. So that just made me like relax. And and honestly. I think going in, I was like, if I can just run with Des the first half, she always seems to do the right thing. (laughs) And I think she'll be fit enough to do that. And she knows the course so well. So, so that was kind of my default. And I'm like, okay, I'm just doing this. Like she knows the tangents and, uh, I'm sure I I had thought that the leader would come back to us. Um, but, but then at halfway, it kind of became apparent that she was way far out and we were just kind of competing for second, which, was strange but also I think really good for me in this type of race because I was just trying to again get back in the hunt not really focus on the win so it was really good practice of just being in a pack and just competing for every spot that I could get so to speak yeah you know it's it's so the story it's just like this like small 
little Des story on the side here, but like, it's just cool to see that, like, how did she sense, I guess you said you were moving around the pack. Like, how did she sense that? And like, it almost feels like a motherly, like nurturing thing she did just because, of you know, she's about 10 years older and has done this way more times than you have. And that's just like, I, that's so special. Yeah, it was really nice. She's just great. She's, um, so experienced and, I just love her attitude of she's she's so competitive, but at the same time, just so just even keeled and and supportive of every everyone. So, yeah, I don't know how she sensed it. Maybe, like I said, I was just trying to, like, sit up on everyone that was like making people are just making different surges and she can probably tell I was just maybe looking around a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. She's, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just thinking too, like, it's like she gave you that little like nudge of like confidence, like you're going to be fine to just sit for a minute or whatever. But like, it's like so cool because that's the cool thing about the marathon and competing with other Americans as well. Like, of course she wanted to beat you. Like, of course Des still wanted to win, but like, that's not what it would come down to. You know, it's like she know she knew that like whoever had a better race and was in the better shape on that day was going to place higher regardless yeah exactly you see that's what I love about the marathon too it's not really tactical there's plenty of room on the road and exactly whoever's gonna have the better day is gonna is gonna pull pull it out so we might as well just help each other and and we're the ones it's a bit intimidating to just be in that all African pack so they kind of chat it up they like work together so um, yeah, so it's kind of, it's nice and it gives me, yeah, my first, I don't think I could be up there actually and be as confident as I am without her in that pack. So it's really nice that she's been there the two times that I've raced Boston. I've wondered that. That's, that's interesting to hear you say that, that it's intimidating to be up there with the Africans who are so dominant in the distance running scene and in the marathoning scene. I mean, we have this like we've had this surge of American women doing amazing for a while now, but it's still, you're usually in the pack of a bunch of Africans. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, I was just, I was still getting nervous and it's only, it was only my third marathon and, and then you just have to keep trusting the surges though. And I think that was one of the things that I really learned from this race is that with 15 miles into it, there were still, a huge group of us and you're thinking how am I going to beat all these people mm-hmm. and um that but then I just try to okay go back to the process just think if you just are in the top 10 then you're going to get this the standard so just just focus on the moment and focus on what you can do and and you know if you I always tell myself if I had the choice I, w- I would be going this pace anyways so that's just one of the like you know how you have different mantras and stuff so like one of the things when I'm in a big pack, and again, I think it's just like Des can sense it, is that I just get so anxious. And one of the things I tell myself is like, I can keep going this pace. Because sometimes you get worried like, okay, someone's going to make a big move and like, it's going to be really hard. But then I'm just like, okay, I can, I can at least keep going this pace or like, 
stuff like that or I'll just say like I you know if I, if I had the choice like if I was just out here running my own like I feel pretty comfortable I would be going this pace so it's just I don't know it's, it just helps me to kind of stay calm and and in a way get just get back into my own head and, and relax and pretend that I'm just on a Sunday long run uh, so, so I kept telling myself that and then, but sure enough, people just kind of drop off, uh, as, as each surge goes, uh, Des made a big move on mile 15 down into Newton and then Edna kept making some moves and the hills kind of wore people down. So by the time we got to heartbreak, uh, which was fun because before two years ago, um, Edna had dropped me at 18 and so I was in a pack all the way till 21 this time which was really really fun but then she made the same kind of move that she did Ah. um in 2017 and I was almost laughing because there she goes again I, I was yeah and my legs just could not go but at the same time I was just thinking because the whole race was and the buildup was just so fun because I just was so grateful to be back out there. So I actually, I think I did start smiling and I was thinking, this is just so fun to be back out here and racing and, and maybe I can, maybe I could get third. (laughs) Maybe I'm just going to do my best here. Like you just kind of think this is the part where it's going to get really hard, but you just grind it out and you do the best that you can and, um, yeah, I just get goosebumps thinking about it now because it was just so fun. And um, that's that's what, kind of what you train for. And that's when mentally you kind of start going to those places where you're thinking of your family, thinking of um, all, all, those, all those, those tough things. Because before that, you kind of want to just turn your mind off. And um, we're watching the race back. And my dad's always saying, what are you thinking right then? What are you thinking right then? <laughs> I'm just like, honestly, like when once I get off the start line, I just like go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> and you really try to just, just turn your mind off for as long as you can. Because then those four miles, you need it. That's when you need it. And that's when you need to start thinking of all your stuff that, that you got saved up in your motivations. And I think of my mom and I think of uh, all my training and all the hard long runs and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you were wearing your mom's ring. Is that what I read? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was wearing it again. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. And Alberto gave me a little rosary to wear right before the race too. So that was really special. I was like, a gift he gave you right before. (laughs) Yeah. He just, um, no, I think he had bought it in Boston or something, or he went to the church. Um, what was funny is we had done a workout um, the in the Boston Commons on Saturday, and he went to Mass right after, and I jogged back to the hotel, and he took my race shoes to church. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, like, just by, you know, just because he was carrying them. And um, I was like, did you put them in the holy water? And then it, we had waterproofed them because we thought it was going to um, really, well, in case it had really rained because it was looking like it might be like it was last year. Mm-hmm. So I said, you should have just soaked them in the water the whole mass to see if, if it worked. <laughs> to see if it worked. How did you but waterproof actually, them? <laughs> there's this spray you can buy. And it was really, it, they smelled so bad. It was toxic. <laughs> And we actually sprayed my whole, we sprayed my jersey with it. We sprayed my warm-ups. And, wow. Uh, I'm not sure if it worked or not. I think it did work for the shoes because there were some puddles. And um, my socks ended up being pretty dry. Uh, 
he was funny right after I said, I think it worked. And he, he bent down and was feeling them. He's like, yeah, yeah, they seem pretty dry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious that he took the. Well, I mean, it was like he didn't intentionally take him to church for that reason. But there you were. Your, sho- yeah. your shoes were blessed. They were. <laughs> um, so the rosary, though, did you wear it like on a necklace or something? Uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a bracelet, a bracelet. on my wrist. And yeah. that doesn't bother you to run with it? Was well, it next to your watch? Yeah, it was next to my watch and it was super tight. So it yeah. was fine. Um, yeah. All right. Two questions about the field. Worknish. Did you know who she was and like, was she someone on your radar that like she might just like totally kill the whole race? Um, yeah, I had known that she had run 217, so I try not to obsess over each, each woman, but I'm starting to learn more and more who everyone is, and we kind of, we kind of had scoped it out who we thought would be in that top pack, so when she took off, I figured that, I think there was also a 218 girl in there, I'm not sure, but I just thought, oh, she, that must be one of the 217 or 218 girls, and, um... Yeah, so I was just surprised that... So um, early. She just wanted it, it was, right from the start. Yeah, and everyone always says, though, you just don't know, you don't know. like, with yeah. the hills and everything. And, and then I was just telling myself, well, I'm sure someone else in this big main pack wants to win as well. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. we got we to gotta work ourselves back up. And uh, like I said, two of the women had gone with Worknish and... I felt so much better when we caught those two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, And then I was thinking to myself, gosh, I'm so glad I didn't go with that move because oh how, stu- how stupid would I feel right now? <laughs> if that, you were the one getting that, passed. Yeah, which I probably would have been fine. Like, you recover, but then mentally it's just you're questioning everything. So that's another thing is that, like, maybe fitness-wise you could go with those moves, but then the whole time – the anxiety of oh yeah. where's the where's the rest of the pack where's this and that and I think that to go with that move you would have to be at a fitness level that you're just so confident in you know like the best shape of your life or whatever and so actually in a way it was good that I was coming off injury because maybe if I was at my top fitness I would have gone with that and uh-huh. maybe I die maybe I don't die you you yeah. know you never know so um so, yeah, I, I, I ended up liking how the race played out overall. And then, yeah, I mean, I can imagine that being so much, having so much more confidence knowing that, like, you're with a pack. Somebody else in here also wants to, like, try to chase the winner. And those women are probably, at least one of them is probably going to come back to you. Um, okay, talk to me about, like, racing next to Edna. And so you said Des, Des takes off, at, makes a move at 15. Edna makes a move at 18. Clearly, you guys all go with Des at 15. Edna leaves at 18. And then are you still left with Des, who are you left with at 18 when Edna makes the move? Um, so, so Edna made a move actually more like 20 after the hills. Okay, after the hills. Um, yeah, I think one of the other, um, Africans had made, there were a bunch of surges. That's kind of the thing about Boston is people try to surge, um, I don't know what it is. I guess after the water stops a lot of times, you like they'll pick it up and, or maybe it just feels like surges because of the uphill downhill. So we like in Wellesley, we kind of surged. And um, when it got flat again, we kind of surged. So there's all these moves being made and you just have to know that it's going to slow, slow back down again. And I think that just wears on people. Um, but Ed, yeah, so Des made a move at 15, and then she actually kind of dropped off after that. 
but that broke some people down too because a heartbreak it was just Edna, Asefa, and myself. Mm, okay. And then and then Edna made another really strong move, and that's when I got into fourth, and um, I caught up to her about after like two miles. So like by twenty three or twenty four, I was I was in third, and then was just yeah, just just trying to. Um, it just keep going till the finish. I the last stretch, I was more tired than any marathon that I had run. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We, my main, uh, I was still, my strength was there, but I just didn't quite have the speed yet. Some we were waiting for some of my speed workouts to come around. Mm. So I think Edna, she ran her last five k in sixteen oh five, which is just incredible, and that wasn't my type of race on the day so what was your last uh, 5k I'm not sure my last mile was 525 so that was pretty good but I I, I don't know what the last 5k was I, yeah. I know the second half was faster still which was good oh you negative um, yeah we did have some we just had some slower miles early on mm. though so it just made it for kind of a slower day um but again, it wasn't really about time. It was just about getting back in the hunt. Um, so I was super happy with the, with it place wise. Yeah. It did. So since you said you kind of like in the last two miles, you kind of knew that, um, you likely had third place secured. Were you able to really enjoy Boylston then? Yeah, I think you always enjoy yeah. Boylston. I, I, you, you're so tired and then, then you just think, oh, I, I could actually keep doing this. It's not so bad. I oh, I got goosebumps the first year, and then this year, same thing. Um, it's just such a privilege and an honor, and the people of Boston are so into it. And uh, I was just so happy to be back out there, like I said, and so grateful. And uh, the feeling of finishing a marathon, that's why I love the event, just no matter if you're an elite finisher getting third like me or just in the middle of the pack, it's really life-changing to the feeling of crossing that line. I agree. Totally. You know, it's funny because I wasn't running anywhere near like a peak race for myself. And when I turned on Boylston, like I was in a lot of pain, but I knew, you know, whatever, like I knew it was going to be fine, but I just started clapping. Cause I was like, this is fun. Like this is <laughs> yeah. so great. And some of those pictures where I'm turning the corner clapping, I'm like, I look like such a doof, but I was like happy, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. It's just, it just is so fun. And everyone is, like I said, so supportive. And then I was just thinking of getting to my dad and my brother and my aunt and my boyfriend were all there at the finish and Alberto and, our sports psychologists and our massage therapist, my whole team was yeah. there. So um, it's just always such a nice feeling. And for it to go so well, I just felt really um, thankful and relieved in a way to to be crossing the line because I had been out there. I was in Boston last year watching Des win. And that was great. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was fantastic. But I would have loved to have been out there. So um, it was just so nice to be able to be back on the road. Yeah, I love that picture that you posted. Like you're about to cross and your dad's fist is raised. Like, Oh, yeah. Wasn't that cool? So cool. Yeah. Who captured that? Was yeah. that just the main camera? No, my boyfriend took that picture, actually. Oh, I it love it. Pretty, he was like yeah, up high cool. enough. 
I guess, yeah, they got finish line seats in the grandstand, so he just got it at the exact moment. Okay, boyfriend. Is this a new boyfriend? I don't feel like I knew that you had a boyfriend before this. <laughs> yeah, well, we've been officially dating for a few months, but we, we've been kind of known each other for a year, and we're friends first, so... Um, he, he works at Nike in a, for a team that, um, develops the running footwear. So, um, and he ran in college, so he understands and it was super special for him to be out there this year. What, so did you meet through him working at Nike? Yeah, just mutual friends and then him working at Nike. Hey everybody, I'm going to take a quick break and thank a sponsor for this episode. Sponsors are what helped make this podcast possible. So the sponsor I want to thank is FabFitFun. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. It retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. You guys can use the coupon code ANOTHER to get $10 off your first box. So that's just $39.99. The boxes sell out fast, so make sure you sign up and get yours today. When you open your box, at least this is how I felt, uh, it feels like your birthday. It's a really exciting feeling to get a package in the mail. I know you all feel the same way. I actually was just listening to a sermon on this, and the excitement you get when you open a package is... Well, it's kind of silly, really, but it is exciting. So I know you want that in your life, and also... Uh, I think this is a really good gift idea as well. Some of the brands that are in the boxes are from Free People, Anthropology, Kate Somerville, Glam Glow, Beauty Blender, Oscar Blandy, and Bear Paw. So check out FabFitFun. Go to FabFitFun.com and use the code ANOTHER so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's FabFitFun.com and use the code ANOTHER. You deserve to treat yourself. All right, friends, let's enjoy the rest of my conversation with Jordan Hesse. I don't know if it's my hormones or what, but I <laughs> listening to your post race, like the press interview that you guys do when you were talking about Paula texting you and, and telling you to enjoy being back out there where you belong. Like I teared up hearing you say that just because I know how like special your relationship to Paul is and how you like she's been an idol to you in the run, the running world. How cool was that to receive that text from her? Thanks. Yeah, she's been just so as such a special friend to me and it's it's crazy kind of thinking back now how when I first started doing the long run training or even growing up my mom would just say well done Paula <laughs> and that was my nickname and now I'm such I'm friends with her and my mom would just think it was so cool and yeah. it's cra- it's crazy how things kind of happen in life and it's a they say when you have a tragedy or something that bad happens, it's like a new normal. But um, my new normal is pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm so thankful that Paula is. She's um, texted me kind of throughout the injury and like been really nice about just um, getting back. And I saw her in Chicago. I was there for some appearances, and she just told me keep resting it and and you'll be back and um just it's nice to have that belief of someone that was so um and still is so so good and um has run so well so yeah that text and it was like the perfect thing to say too yes. she just knew exactly um what to say so i was definitely thinking of that in the race where you belong yeah i love that did you yeah. t- now did you talk to joni afterwards 
Yeah, I did. Oh, I was so happy for Joni. Well, I had, I don't know if you read any of this in the interviews, but we had made a promise to both make it to the start line because she was kind of banged up all last year, too. I think she had to pull out of Chicago as well. Uh-huh. So any time in training that I wanted to do an extra interval or do another mile or, or do my double run or whatever, and I knew that, like, I probably should just, like, back off, you know, I would mm-hmm. think, okay, what would Joni tell me to do? <laughs> and um, <laughs> so two weeks before the marathon, we were texting and we just said, I can't believe it's finally here and we're both going to be able to run it. And um, for her to, she crushed her time goal, yeah. 304. And um, like I was saying about crossing that marathon finish line, I think her face, I mean, she looked just as happy as she did when she won her gold medal. So it's just cool that like, you know, no matter what age, no matter who you are, it's it really is. Every time you cross that line is such an experience and um, so, so exciting. Yeah, that is so cool. Now, 18 months, that is so long because this dates back. The first time I was trying to interview you was before Boston last year when you were like kind of teetering, like, am I injured? Am I not injured? And then you were getting healthy and then you weren't able to do Chicago either. So like, man, in, in my world and someone who's not doing this for their career, like that's a really long time to sit on the sidelines. So how did you deal with that mentally and emotionally? It was, yeah, thanks. Um, it was really hard. And um, what was hard is that I took some time off and then it came back. Yeah. So so to be out twice, you're just kind of thinking, okay, um, is this going to come back again? Or am I just going to start getting all these fractures? And I've just been so lucky to be healthy most of my career that it was a really new thing for me to have to go through and to have to keep cross training and just keep staying positive. But, um, so I took a month off after the first fracture and came back and was training well. And then, um, felt the same sort of pain and it, it, yeah, it was a new fracture in the same bone, but just like a different angle. Mm -hmm. So, um, so at that point I took, I just decided to shut it down for a really long time. So I took 10 weeks off and even after eight weeks, I got an MRI and it was completely healed. But I said, no, I'm just going to I'm just going to keep yeah. waiting. It <laughs> was like we worked backwards and we're like, what's the like minimum amount of training that you need to get to Boston, basically? And we're like, probably if you start November ish, that's going to be fine. So that's kind of what we did. Just um delay it as long as we could which was really hard but I just tried to see it as actually not even with looking towards Boston but really looking toward the trials in February and so there were a lot of times in the build-up where I thought I'm behind I'm behind but if I am I in a place where I want to be if I had a year <laughs> so if I if I'm trying to get ready ready for February am I okay and and the answer was of course always yes but but it was it was definitely November December was super hard getting starting from scratch. I don't think I'd ever started from that that amount of training of ten weeks off. It was just it was really hard and it had to be a really slow build up. So I wasn't even I was running on um, it's actually called the light speed lift and it's it's like the Ultra G but you put it around any treadmill 
And it's it's more of like I, I did an Instagram post of it the other day. Um, it kind of just suspends you, so it's the same thing. You can run at 70, 80, or 90 percent. So I started out running on that just at 70 percent and um, one mile. <laughs> and that, that's what I did just every other day for a week and then three miles every other day. So it was very, very slow. Like I was excited to start running, but then I, I really wasn't, it wasn't even that great because I was still cross training a bunch and not really doing much. Um, and then, so I, I really got to land more like January and just, um, it was very humbling. Like the first we the first tempo run that I did, Alberto and I said, okay, what, like, yeah, what do you think you can hit? And we just thought, oh yeah, for, you know, 545, 550 for four, it's only a four mile run. And we just thought, yeah, it'll be fine. And I could, I died, I hit a wall so bad <laughs> and I, I was running 630 by the end. And I just remember thinking like, there's no way I'm going to be ready. Like I'm so bad at running all this stuff that you're not supposed to be thinking, of course, in a workout. And I was crying and, um, and then, but then it was really cool because each week to see the progression and the fitness came back uh, week by week. And then by the end, my last long run was 20 miles at 545 pace and it felt like a jog. Really? So it's just, it still is like, it, I had never had to go through that before. And so it's a big confidence thing for me to know that I could start from nothing and get back to this elite level. And I think that's why I just felt so excited about the race because I was like, no matter how I do, like what place I'm in, I may not, I may not be top three, but like, I know I'm going to be competitive. I know I can compete in that top group. And I was just thankful for that because when I started out training, I was like, yeah, I'll just, I'll, you know, top 15. That's great. I'll be, I'll be on the start line. So it was cool that it had come so far. And I think that we would have liked to have a couple more weeks in the end. My speed still was kind of coming around. And when I did taper, my last couple workouts were, were pretty good, but, um, the, yeah, it was almost kind of sad and I still feel sad because it's hard to take the downtime right now, but you need to respect uh -huh. it. But I felt like it was more just like, okay, we're going to pause and just run this competitive race and see where I'm at. But, but we would like, I, I just felt so fresh and, but that's another thing that I think I'll take into my next buildup is that I felt so fresh mentally and other times, like when I went into Chicago and ran my PR, I ran great, but I felt like I was ready to go in August. And so we sort of were just like not holding on, but then you get nervous. Okay. Am I ready too early? And this time I definitely wasn't ready too early. I, I wasn't, it wasn't like I wasn't ready, but um, I just felt so good mentally and physically. And I think in marathon, the mental part is, is huge as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I feel like we're hearing of professional runners doing these like shorter training blocks for that reason, like so that you don't overcook it physically and emotionally. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does make you wonder, not that you really, I mean, not that you can you had a bad race, you had a great race. Um, uh, but it makes you wonder like, what if I had three more weeks, would that have been the peak, you know? Yeah. That's what we kind of thought. We're like, okay, you know, if I had a couple more weeks, am I able to go with that move that Edna made mm -hmm. and have mm -hmm. a little bit more speed at the end? And 
I think, yeah, maybe. And just like, I didn't have a lot of time to do races because I just, I wanted to be smart and safe and not have to travel too much. So I think racing would have benefited me a little bit. So I'm going to try to do some more shorter races this summer before Chicago. But, um, yeah, overall, I mean, we I think we did the best that we could given the time. And, and like I said, it was sort of fun to just see the progression. And actually, during the last part of the race, before, before all the crowds on Boylston and stuff, I was just thinking of my first uh, interval workout when I was trying to run 800s and break three minutes. And mm-hmm. I thought, it, it just makes you so tough because, honestly, I think that that was harder than when I was running – in the last mile of the marathon yeah. <laughs> it was so hard so it really does it really does benefit you having to go through that and come back from nothing um not that you would do it not that I would do it again by choice but um it, it's just such a mental challenge that made me so much tougher and and gave me a whole new perspective too on just like not being as nervous and just being really grateful to to be out there competing and to be healthy. Man, that is such a good perspective for so many reasons. Just like looking back on those struggles at the beginning of getting back and the gratefulness. I mean, I think that, you know, you seem like a person that's grateful regardless, but just like you can't, you can't like tap into that unless you've been told you have to sit out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thanks. And then, and then you just think about all the people that put in because when, when you have an injury, you have to work with so many people to get you back. So you're thinking of all the people that sacrificed their time and and all the, my doctors that um, that took the time to get me back to where I was and, and the treatment and, and just so many people that I have on my team. So it's like I really can't have a bad race because <laughs> I, I don't want to let them down. And even before the race, Alberto was saying, he never likes to say this, but it kind of slipped out. He's like, we need this, but like, I hate <laughs> to say, I hate to say we need it, but it's like, just go out there and be solid because otherwise we're going to be questioning, like, what, what do we need to do? Like, did we not, did we not, did we do something wrong? And like, we were so happy with how the training block went that we knew that I was fit. So, so you just, I needed to go execute basically so that we could have a mark on paper. Yeah. And it is, so it's like, cause you know, you can go out in a race and things just go wrong. And then you're like, man, I, I really know like I'm fitter than that, but just for whatever reason, like, like I was saying earlier, like, oh, I made a big risk. I went with this 217 girl and then you die and then, then you don't really know where you're at. So I was just, I was just really pleased that it was kind of like, yeah, that was solid. And like, that really shows where I was at, um, in, in all ways. Yeah. You, and you made the right decisions when you needed to make the decision. That's the thing. It's like you show up as fit as you're going to be, but then like you make decisions during the race that affect the outcome. And that execution is like, one thing is it takes experience and skill and like, let's, let's be real. Like it's your third marathon. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's just so, I just try to see it as fun though. It's my brother and I were talking the night before and I was just saying, I'm just so excited. I, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. I wonder, <laughs> and I'm, I'm such a fan of the sport too, that I just am like, I watch all the different marathons and I study like who made this move mm-hmm. when and this and that. And, and, um, 
yeah, it was like, it was just exciting to be in it and, and think, okay, yeah, this girl's having to break away. Like usually they die on the hills, <laughs> this and that. So it was, a, it was interesting how it all kind of played out. So awesome. Okay. So you've announced that you're running Chicago. Was that an easy decision or a tough decision? And I'm saying this because coming off the injury and then obviously we've got the trials soon after that. So how, how was that decision? How did that get made? Uh, it actually was kind of easy to be honest. Cause I, I wanted to run two marathons this year because I've only run three and I think I need the experience for the Olympics. And, and I think it's good to kind of go through the whole training block because, um, there, there's enough time we sat down and looked at Chicago's a little bit earlier in the year. So, I would have had plenty of time to recover from Boston and and go to, towards Chicago, and it worked well last time. Um, and um, then the between the trials and the Olympics, there's plenty of time, so it's not like too many marathons in in a short span of time. If we're looking at my long term career, uh, so so yeah, so we kind of just. I don't know when that, I guess in the fall, that decision was, oh, was made. Yeah, so, okay. um, I'm regardless just of the Boston outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of the Boston outcome. And, um, it's kind of funny cause when I first moved to the marathon and I, I ran Boston, my heart was just set on winning it the next year. So mm. I sort of saw Chicago as a time trial for winning Boston in 2018. Mm -hmm. And now this time it was more reverse that Boston was just sort of a warm up for uh, trying to run really fast in Chicago. So I'm just excited now that we have so much, I have so much more time and I'm healthy and uh, it feels good to not have to, build up from zero and, and just be excited about seeing, uh, really how fast I can run. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the build up and, and then the race itself of just, um, really seeing, um, where, where I'm at at the time. So winning is, is primary goal, American record, secondary goal or vice versa? Um, yeah, definitely. I think winning would be the primary goal. That's when, whenever you're going for a record and that's sort of why I, I think it's exciting for the sport to say it. That's why mm -hmm. I, I decided, okay, I'm going to say Put that's my goal. There. And yeah. yeah. And sometimes that doesn't pan out, but I think that I have been in the sport for long enough and I'm experienced enough and kind of confident in my own process that that's not that pressure is not going to affect me because I know that when you're out in the race you really can't think about the time you just got to go compete so I think I'll just be um once I toe the line I'm not going to be thinking American record American record I'm just gonna be thinking just try to compete like I did last time and win the race and and then hold on and uh, see whatever the time is. So hopefully it'll be a good weather day, a good competitive field. You know, there's a lot of things that have to pan together for a record or for a fast day. So, um, I mean, I'll just say chances are it's probably not going to happen, but <laughs> but I'd love for it to happen. So, so again, it's just I, I, I think that my injury has given me a whole perspective of it's really just all about having fun. And um, that sounds cliche, but. It, you, I'll, I'll just really do the best that I can with the buildup and hopefully I'm fit and hopefully it could pan together. And, um, yeah, you just, I don't want to set any limits though. I just want to go and, and see what could happen. You're bringing this up like 
you're doing it for the fun of it. And it's just really making me think about, have you read this book, The Passion Paradox? Oh, I was just actually, I was just listening to um, Steve and uh, Brad were on the Rich Roll podcast. So I was listening to that and them talking about it. And I tried, I need to buy the book because I tried to listen to it on Audible, but I don't like the guys. Uh, (laughs) I feel bad. I don't. Yeah, I listen. So I just got Audible and I listened to Meb's book on it, Uh which was really, it was really cool. But like, again, I didn't. Is no, I didn't like the narrator's yeah. voice, really. And he was, like, pronouncing all the Africans' names wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, do you guys proof listen to this? <laughs> Not, I mean, it was a, it was a, no, don't get me wrong. Like, it was a fantastic book. Like, it was great. And I, I always listen to podcasts while I'm stretching and uh-huh. stuff. So I was like, I might as well listen to this book. And, and his book was, like, so inspiring for my Boston buildup. But then I tried to listen to this par- passion paradox and I just, uh, I just couldn't do it. So I think I'm going to actually buy the book and, and just read it, but I can I send you mine. Straight. I'm about done. I'll <laughs> oh, send okay. you my copy. Well, cool. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because I am so particular about the voice of the person who reads the books on audible. And I don't know if I'll ever write a book and I think maybe someday I will, but I'm like 100% I'm going to be the reader. Yeah, that would be great. I know. Do they, so do they not want people to be their own reader? Or I don't know. How does Dina that Castor, work? she read hers. Dina Castor. Oh, she did. did. Okay. Yeah. I actually I actually read hers, like read Instead hers. So yeah. um yeah, not audible, but oh that's so cool. So yeah, I don't know why I guess it would take a I don't know how, how long would that take? Yeah, well, well, they last like Mebs, I think, was four hours or something. I mean, I think it would be super time consuming because you have to pronounce everything perfectly and you probably have to re-say a lot. But I just think like so many people are listening to books on audio. And if it's not going to be your voice, like if you if it's you if you're the one that wrote it, it makes like and it's about your life. It makes sense for it to be your <laughs> voice. But I know that Dina said this. This is funny. Uh, well, not f- she probably didn't think it was funny at the time. She mispronounced one word wrong, <laughs> and uh-huh. she had to drive like five hours to go re-record it. Just that oh, one word. No way. But like oh, it was so- like worth it to make it accurate. But like yeah, and she said she was just like drinking hot tea the whole time. And um, <laughs> okay, but what I was gonna say about that though, the passion paradox is like I just got through this chapter. That's so it's my favorite chapter so far. I think it's chapter four, and they're just talking about how like when we go back to the root of why we're doing what we love to do, that's when we do really well, and we're not thinking about external validations and things like that. And so when you're talking about this, you know, at some point, external validation just like creeps in, you know, it feels good to get a pat on the back and people to be excited for you. But when you're coming back from injury and there's no expectations of what people think you're going to do and you're just running for the pure love of running and you showed it in Boston, you ran really well. Thanks. Yeah, I think it again, it's just this whole perspective of just being grateful to be out there. And I've always tried to kind of block out that stuff beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, you can kind of say, Oh, I think, thank goodness, that's such a relief, (laughs) because you forget, you know, it is I mean, you don't forget. But like I said, you try to block it out as much as you can that this is actually my job. And I didn't I didn't put my uniform on in 2018. So that kind of had an implication um, it monetarily and uh, things like that. So it is a relief at the end of the day. But 
But in order to get that outcome, you have to just force yourself to focus on the process and and just let it come. And so that's something that then that's something you have to practice in training too. Is really just doing that every single workout, every single day, really. And going, um, that's what I like about my training is we just go run by run and I'm not really on a certain schedule workout wise. So it's all just like, let it happen and, and not force it. And I do a lot of different meditations and things like that about just letting go and, and focusing on, um, our sports psychologist always says one plus two equals three. So you focus on your one plus twos and then you're going to get the three and you're going to get that outcome that you want. Oh, I love that. Simplifying it so much. Do you dream about, you know, you talk about Tokyo. So do you dream about not only making the Olympic team and then once you get there, not only being there, but not just making the podium, but winning gold? Like, do you have those visualizations? Yeah, definitely. My dad and I have been watching the Boston race back all week and I'm just thinking, how am I going to beat this girl? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Know. What am I, you know, what am I going to do? This is a competition. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think it's, yeah, I again, it's just you focus on the process, obviously, so not necessarily the outcome. So it's all about like, what can I do in training so that I've set myself up for a, a medal um, I think making that team is going to be hard enough in itself. So I'm trying to almost stop there. Um, I'm really excited about that race. So it's going to be one to really watch and <laughs> kind of like I was saying about the Boston race, like I'm such a fan of the sport and all the different storylines are just so intriguing. And it's like, now that they changed the time standard, it might be a different race. Um, so it's gonna, it's just gonna be really fun. And then it's super hilly, which I, I love. I'm really good on hills, so that kind of benefits me. Uh, but I was wondering it, about that. It'll be really fun to run that race and just see kind of how it plays out and, um, yeah, what the pace is, who ends up having this standard going in. Or what, what the standards are going to be that I don't know if they're going to change it or um, or what's going to happen. So it's, it's just exciting to think about that, too. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. That course is just like, do you, do you prefer, so like a Boston, a Chicago, Atlanta, obviously it's a totally different kind of race. But would you prefer a course like Atlanta over a course like Chicago? Yes, I, I actually, I prefer hills. I think it's just, it breaks it up. And uh-huh. the way that my form is, I, I like to kind of break up the rhythm a little bit more. And um, I'm excited. I love loop courses. I love loops in general. Like I, uh, people make fun of me but on my easy days. I just run this like wood chip trail that I do 10 or 12 loops on oh it. Oh my gosh, how long, how far is the trail? <laughs> it's a, uh, well, they, so it's on Nike campus and they closed it off. So it used to be two miles around, but now it's like maybe a little bit over, you know, now it's just like a mile and a quarter for <laughs> one stretch. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. Like it's not 10 miles is just five loops. Well, uh-huh. ten, you know, 10 like back and forth. 
but no one will run on there because they're like it's closed and I'm just thinking it's not closed you can loop it it's fine um but I, I just yeah I've always loved loops because you just know exactly uh-huh. like how far you have to go and I'm not a, I'm really not a Garmin person I don't wear I don't like GPS at all so really? I just got my old stopwatch but I but I know like so how I'll know like well I'll know like for me seven if I'm like if I'm on a recovery day, like 1745 would be one loop. Or like if I had two days easy, then I'm going like 1715 probably. Or like, and then if I'm like under 17, I'm like, whoa, got out a little hot there. Need to slow it down. So I do have my like little things that are, um, you know, OCD, like, like Garmin people, but, but I don't go really by the Garmin. I just go by my stopwatch and my the times that I have on my loop. <laughs> but do you race with a, do you race with a GPS? <laughs> no, I really? just, no, I just get the miles splits. Really? And, um, you just wear like a regular old watch? Yeah. Just my little Timex that and I've you, had. Like, and you lap forever. it for every mile or something? Yeah. Do you, do you hit it every mile? Sometimes, sometimes like it depends if we're in a, if we're in a surge or something and I miss it, then um, I, you know, then I miss it. I'm not like all about having it recorded or whatever, but I just, I try to actually, I try to do it like confidence wise, just to be like, okay, that was a 532 or 540 and that felt slower and that makes sense. Uh, things like that. But no, otherwise I, yeah, I just, I pretty much know, know the pace. And then if I'm out doing a long run, like I'll have someone with their, garment or their gps like alberto will be on the oh, bike yeah. so that he can measure it but mm-hmm. um, oh man i guess yeah. that's probably kind of cool in a race because you it takes away the distraction of like constantly checking what your pace is yeah i think you just uh, well when we're out there yeah you just have to compete yeah and yeah kind of kind of know the pace anyways so i don't really think anyone is well, I don't know. That's interesting. Maybe I don't know if Worknish is checking her Garmin to she's see like what out there by herself. the pace is. But that's the thing is like they're always wrong. So <laughs> I, I this one long run during this build up, I had worn my Garmin and I was committed to getting every mile split so that I could have a perfect. Uh, my friend is really into Garmin and I wanted to have like a perfect screenshot of each 20. <laughs> I was doing 25. So I wanted each mile. But then I go over to the trail where it's marked, right? And my Garmin is giving me splits for 610, and I'm running 535. And you so know. then I'm like, yeah, and you know, that's what it is, but it's like in the trees, right? Yeah, so yeah. then, so if I was really just someone that didn't really know running right and I'm not looking at the markers I would be killing myself uh-huh. to try to get back on my pace you'd be going <laughs> 450 it, yeah but like it did it did actually make me pick it up a little bit but but then it just yeah it makes me upset that the technology isn't always correct uh-huh. so that's I guess that's why I give up on it because I just I think you can get too consumed by it and too, you just got to go by your effort. It was actually, it was good when I was starting back training. I wore it actually a little bit because I just had no sense of pace and I needed to know I'm at least running seven minute pace on my easy days or Mm -hmm. like trying to get to that. But um, once I got back to being able to run my loops at the normal pace, then I ditched it. Oh my (laughs) God. Pretty much. Yeah. All right, Jordan, what, uh, last question here, what, this is kind of just like a more general question, 
But what drives you to be the best, to run your best? I think just thinking of my family and friends and, as I said earlier, my whole team, that really helps to get me to the start line. That's kind of what motivates me nowadays and thinking of my mom and and just using my talent to the best of my ability. Um, I've always said that I feel like I've been given this gift and I just want to um, use it to make people joyful and inspire people and um, that's why I like getting out there is to just kind of um, sh- show my gift to the world. I love that. All right, everybody. Well, Jordan's going to stay on for 10 more minutes for Patreon. So if you want to hear more from Jordan, join our Patreon page. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jordan. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks so much for listening today and for taking part in this post-Boston series with Scott and Jordan. Jordan, thanks so much for joining me. I love talking with you. You are so much fun. Don't forget 15 extra minutes with Jordan over on Patreon. Support the show at patreon.com slash lindsayhine and get access to that as well as episodes with my husband, Glenn. We hash out Boston this year. We put that out last week and then lots of other continued conversations with people like Kara Goucher, Shalane Flanagan, and then returning guests, full returning guest episodes with Christy Beth Adams, Maggie Dials, Jessica Hoffheimer, Laura Anderson. There's so many Uh, bonus episodes over there that when you actually support it now you get access to all of those I'd say there's at least over 40 by now thank you everybody who's already doing so all right friends I've got some fun episodes coming out in the next few weeks that I'm excited to get in your ears and thank you for continuing to listen and support the show if you're loving it tell a friend leave a rating and review that would be super helpful My best marketing is when people that listen to the show just simply share it. So thank you for doing that. All right. You have a wonderful Friday. Have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.